Hey everyone, uh, good evening and, and happy new year. Um, today we're going to, I'm going to dive right in and, and read our passage for us uh, today. So if you have your Bible with you and you want to read along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23 through the end of the chapter. I'll also throw the passage up on the screen so you can read along uh, in that way. Um, today we're going to look at a story, or, or actually two stories, about uh, Jesus and, and some of the things that he did. And this is a little bit different from from what we've done over the past few months, because in the, the past three months, we've actually been in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew's chapter five through seven. And we've talked exclusively about Jesus's teachings, okay, words that he said uh, to people in order to teach. And today, we're not talking about Jesus' teachings. We're, we're going to look at stories told about Jesus, about things he did. And so it's going to give us a different perspective on, on who Jesus is and, and what he came to do. Um, and these stories, they are, uh, they are shocking. They are um, uncomfortable, I think, uh, a little disturbing at times. Um, and confusing as well. So uh, don't expect to, to have uh, all your questions um, uh, answered today, but they, it's going to give us a great look at uh, the person of Jesus and, and just um, his power and, uh, and, and what he has come to do and, and deal with in this world. So uh, my prayer for you uh, that as we look at this passage um, that you're able to just imagine yourself uh, in this passage, uh, that you would maybe return to um, our childhood spirit of imagination and, and just picture the scene or the scenes that we'll read. Picture yourself. How would you feel? What would you be thinking if you were in these stories? Uh, and if these stories are familiar to you, I I'm hope that we can just see them in a new way, that we can be challenged by uh, these stories of Jesus, and that we can be transformed um, in, in, a, in a fresh way to, to walk in step with Jesus every day uh, of our lives and join him in the mission that he has come to, to complete in this world. So, so that's a little bit of you know, about where we're headed. Let me read the passage and then we will, we'll dive in. All right. So Matthew uh, chapter eight, starting in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs were feeding at some uh, great distance from them. 
And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Right. So you, you can tell uh, when the Bible re- or the Bible author thinks a story is shocking by how, how often he says the word behold. Um, <laughs> so there's like five beholds in there. Anyway, um, shocking, shocking stories. Um, uh, disturbing. Okay, you have, you have a, a storm, a, a boat that is about to sink. Um, the disciples are certain they're going to die. Um, then you have pigs or, or these crazy men coming out of a graveyard, uh, violent, uh, fierce men, then pigs drowning, uh, in, in a lake. Uh, so, so a bunch of things going on here. Um, but these two stories that we get, they're, they're tied together in a couple of ways. Um, first by this theme of the sea or the waters. Okay. In the first story, Jesus calms the seas in the second, the pigs drown in the seas. Uh, so, so that's, that's the first way that they're tied together by the theme of, of a sea or water. And the second is by a question, a question that is asked in the first story and answered in the second story in a really strange and unexpected way. So we're going to look at that in a little bit. Um, but first, let me talk about this theme of sea or waters and, and just set the framework for the passage. Okay, uh, Jew, if you've heard me talk about the Bible before, you know that I think, you know, understanding the Bible, how a Jewish person would, is really important. Um, those are the most of the people that wrote the Bible and, and most of the people that the Bible was written to uh, had a Jewish background. So when we think about the sea or the waters, Jewish readers would have some very clear images come to mind um, by by reading these stories. Some some very um, memorable and important uh, stories in their history would come up uh, um, and and are clearly uh, mirrored in this this, these stories about Jesus. So let me just share uh, those with you. The single most important story for the Israelite nation is their origin story, okay, their foundation story, which is found in the book of Exodus. And this is a story about the Israelites, their exodus uh, from slavery in Egypt. You may have seen a movie about it or, or read about it. Um, it's a big deal. And God at, at that time showed up in, with great p- displays of power uh, to convince the Pharaoh that, that he is God and he is powerful and, and, and Pharaoh needs to listen and, and let uh, the Israelite people go. And God freed this no-name, weak, hopeless group of slaves from Egypt. But the story of the Exodus, it culminates in this incredibly dramatic uh, and frightening moment where the Israelites have escaped from Egypt 
and but they have no idea where they're going. They've they've never wandered through the desert, um, and they end up after uh, days of travel end up coming to the this massive sea called the Red Sea, and there's no way forward. Uh, they're going to have to walk all the way around if they want to get across. At the same time, Pharaoh has decided, you know what? I don't want to let these people go. Um, he gathers up his army, his his whole army. Exodus 14 says he brought more than 600 of his best chariots and all his military commanders and officers. Uh, so his best men. He's he's not messing around. And Pharaoh chases after the Israelites in order to to uh, either kill them or take them back into slavery. Uh, so they are done for. They, they have an enemy on both sides, the Egyptian army to their west, and this massive raging Red Sea to their east. And this is what uh, happens. This is what it says in Exodus 14, verse 11. Uh, this, so the Israelites, they are, they're not in good shape. They're frightened and and this is what the people the israelite people say to moses who's leading them uh, out of egypt they say uh, is it because there are no graves in egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness what have you done to us bringing us out of egypt didn't we tell you to just leave us alone so that we could serve the egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the egyptians than to die in the wilderness so they are certain that they, they are facing death, whether it's death by the sea or death uh, by the, the Egyptian army. And you may be familiar with what happens next in Exodus uh, chapter 14, verse 21. Moses stretches out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. All night he made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So God delivered the Israelites through the raging and violent sea. This story means everything for the Jewish people. It is a reminder that no matter what stands in their way, God has the power to deliver them. It's their foundation story. It's their origin story. It gives them their identity as a people. It is, and, and the central or climactic moment of this story is, is God taming the, the waters or the raging sea. Well, not surprisingly, this story pops up all over Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. Here is one example uh, um, in Psalm 106, and there's countless others all throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 106 says, God saved his people for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Verse 9, he rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through the desert. He rebuked the sea. Interesting uh, uh, imagery there of God rebuking the, the raging waters so that his people could, could pass through. Well, the Old Testament writers, they go a step further with this story. They don't just reference it and retell it, but uh, God's deliverance through the waters, it becomes a theme or, or imagery for both personal and communal experiences. Um, it becomes a, a metaphor that is used all throughout 
uh, the Old Testament scripture and the New Testament in some cases. So here's another uh, one example, one of many, Psalm uh, chapter six, I'm sorry, Psalm, yeah, Psalm chapter 69, uh, starting in verse one. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim. Okay, so he's dying. He feels like he's dying. Uh, My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Uh, More in number are the hairs of my head uh, um, than are, uh, sorry, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. So, so what's happening here? Um, is the author drowning in water? No, right? The, the author is using this imagery or metaphor of drowning in deep water to describe the feeling that there's a bunch of people that, that hate him, who, who are speaking lies about him. And he is calling out to God, um, waiting on him to deliver him through the water. Uh, the the water that he is experiencing uh, with this hate and lies uh, before he dies and and again like the Israelites uh, he is seems to be certain that that this wave of hate and lies will will just consume him so the, the God's deliverance through the waters becomes a metaphor um, all throughout Scripture for for personal and communal experiences. Uh, lastly, there's one other important image that would come to the minds of, of Jewish readers in order to and, and we need to bring it to our minds in order to really grasp this passage. And this image is found in the first two verses of the Bible, Genesis one. Uh, verses one and two. Everything goes back to to the first couple pages and points ahead to the last couple pages of the Bible, in my opinion. So, <laughs> this this is the first first two verses, Genesis one and two. You've probably heard this before. Let me read it for you. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So again, we get this image of chaotic, deep, dark waters that cover the world. And the spirit of God is is hovering over the waters. And what happens next? God brings order to the chaos. He creates solid land and life through these, these waters. So hopefully we are beginning to understand uh, the sea or waters like a Jewish person. And this will help us as we unpack our passage for today. The image of sea or, or the water, it communicates chaos. It communicates danger, violence, death, hopelessness. And the only one who can overcome the waters and deliver those who are in its grips is God. God has shown that his power is greater than the power of the waters. He rebukes the sea, he commands the waves, and he saves his people who are helpless amidst the water. 
So, story one. Jesus and his disciples, they climb into a boat. Uh, Jesus has just given a, a really long teaching um, on this mountain. He's, he's performed a few miracles and healings. Uh, he's exhausted, um, ready for a little trip. So they climb into the boat and they head out across the Sea of Galilee. And somewhere along their journey, which, which would have taken uh, a number of hours, probably half a day, they are met by this massive storm. And it's a storm that, that apparently threatens to destroy the boat and drown everyone on it. Uh, the, the passage says it, it, the waves begin to swamp the boat, okay, crashing over, over the sides of the boat, um, you know, threatening to sink it. The disciples are understandably freaking out. Okay, they're, they're scared out of their minds. And, and Jesus, in contrast, is, is just sleeping through it. I mean, he's, he's zonked out. Um, I, I mean, imagine the scene. They're, they're on this little wooden fishing boat. Okay, these boats would have been about 20 to 25 feet long, made of wood. Um, so it's a little bit bigger than a minivan, right? And, and all these men are packed onto this boat. Um, and, and storm clouds begin to roll in. Okay, the waves begin to pick up. They start crashing over the sides of the boat. Uh, the men are getting just soaking wet. Uh, they're holding on to whatever they can, um, you know, trying not to lose their balance and, and fall over or, or fall off the boat. And I'm sure some are falling to their knees and, and you know, sliding around the, the floor of uh, the boat, knocking into each other. Okay, so you can imagine the scene. It's crazy. It's frightening. Meanwhile, you know, Jesus is just curled up on the floor and, and he's, he's passed out. I mean, how crazy is this? I, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat, uh, particularly one out in, in the ocean or a large body of water. And I'm not talking about a cruise ship, but, but a little fishing boat. Um, you know, it can be a beautiful sunny day. And I would have a hard time sleeping. I mean, oceans are, are typically rough. Uh, there are t usually ra waves rolling by in different directions. Uh, the wind is, is blowing and it's loud and, and it just you can feel it. I mean, we're not talking about a relaxing drift out across flat water. Um, and then even more so when, when a massive storm is going on, um, it's, it's crazy. It's, but Jesus, he's unbothered by the chaos. He's unbothered by the, the, the threat of danger. He's at peace. He's asleep in the boat. So the disciples, they, they wake him and they're shouting out, you know, save us, Lord, we're dying. As you can imagine, the wind is howling and, and they're having to yell across the wind. I mean, you can tell how the disciples feel about their situation. They didn't say, you know, hey, we're, we could die or we might die or we're about to die. They tell Jesus, we are, we are currently dying. We're not going to make it. Um, and, and what does Jesus say? You know, why are you afraid? He probably, he probably yelled it because, again, the wind. Why are you afraid? You know, he's, he's like, what? Like, I mean, how do you respond to that? 
waves literally crashing over them, wind pouring on them. Uh, you're, they're standing in water that, that's filling up the boat and wind is raging. I mean, uh, Jesus, you know, they're like, uh, I don't, can't you see what's going on? I mean, th- why, why do you think we're afraid? Jesus says, you have little faith. He, he says they have little faith. I mean, that's, that's kind of harsh, right? I mean, Jesus, he's, he's picking this moment to, to give them a hard time about being afraid of a storm. Why, why would he do this? Why would he lecture them in this moment? Well, just before this story, uh, we read a story about a Roman soldier who, who comes to Jesus asking for him to heal his servant. Uh, his servant who is suffering, who is dying, uh, who is paralyzed. And, and Jesus, Jesus agrees to come to the soldier's home, but the soldier says this in, um, in Matthew 8, uh, starting in verse 8. He says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. He says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say, uh, to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. He was amazed. He was, he was blown away. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, uh, there was no one in Israel in whom I have found such faith. The soldier was convinced about who Jesus was and what he was able to do. And because of that, he had faith that was so great that it, it shocked Jesus. It, it, it floored him. I mean, he, was, he, was, he marveled at the man's faith. In contrast, the disciples, after seeing all that Jesus had done, after growing up with the stories of of God's power and deliverance through the dangerous and threatening waters, they're filled with fear. They are certain of their death. Jesus reprimands them for their lack of faith because they still don't get it. They still don't understand who he is. So after... uh, lecturing them about their lack of faith. Jesus, he faces the raging sea and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And immediately the water is calm. It's flat. Uh, So he rebukes the water. I mean, isn't that an interesting choice of words for Matthew to, to use, right? I mean, he could have said other words. He, he calmed the water. He, um, you know, he commanded the water. He said he rebuked the water. He intentionally takes the terminology used in the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms, to talk about God's power over the water at the Red Sea during the Exodus. And he attributes it to Jesus. Okay, so we read Psalm 106, where God rebuked the Red Sea. Um, Matthew is, is communicating something here. He's communicating something about, about who Jesus is and his, and his power that he has over, over the world and, and the, the chaotic waters. Um, but what do the disciples do? do? Do they get it? Do they say, wow, you, you really are God. You know, thank you for saving us. We'll, we'll never doubt you again. Our, our faith is restored, all this stuff. No, they, they marveled, so they're in shock. And they say, 
what sort of human is this? What, what sort of human is this? The story ends with this question, a question left unanswered, um, asked by the disciples and, and left unanswered until the next scene. But it is answered uh, immediately in the next scene in a really strange and unexpected way. So let's move into story number two and, and see uh, what, what the answer is to this question. So story two says, and he came to the other side of, of the sea to the country called Gadarenes. And these two men um, who are you know, have been tormented by these evil spirits, they come out of this graveyard. And these men are violent. They are fierce. Um, they, they are dangerous. No one, no one could pass through that area because of these two men. And, and the men shout out to Jesus and they say, what do you have to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I mean, this is really amazing. You know, let's, let's contrast these men or, or the demons that are speaking through these men with the disciples. Okay, they're afraid like the disciples but not of the violent, dangerous, chaotic waters. It's interesting. They are actually the ones in this story who are violent and dangerous and chaotic. So what are they afraid of? They're afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of Jesus because they know who he is. He is the son of God. Not only do they know who he is, but they know why he is here. They know who he is and they know why he has come. In their words, he is here to torment them. They are so fearful of Jesus because they know that he is the son of God and, they, and who has come to deal with the evil that is present in this world. Uh, namely them and, and the forces that they, they act under. Jesus has come to take care of the chaos, the destruction, the violence, and the death that plagues this world. He has come to deliver the world and his people through all of that. These demons know this, and they are, they are terrified. They are petrified. What's interesting is that they answer the question that was asked by the disciples in the previous story. What kind of human is this? This is God. Come as human to deliver the world from the grips of evil. So the demons, they beg Jesus to cast them into this herd of pigs that are grazing nearby. Apparently, uh, they know Jesus has complete control and authority over them, they, and they don't want to be without a host. So, you know, Jesus, he, he gives them what they ask for. He says, go, and, and that's it, just go. And these evil forces that have been tormenting these men, isolating them from their family and their community, instilling fear in everyone around, they obey Jesus. They go into the pigs. They just go. And they, they enter into this herd of pigs. They, they kill the pigs. They run them down the, the steep hill into uh, the sea that Jesus just passed through. And, and the, they drowned in the water. They destroy themselves and, and they take the, these bunch of pigs with them. I mean, this is this is disturbing. 
this would be a, a horrifying scene, um, and it's it's hard to really know what to make of it. But but what happens next is is all the people in the city they hear about what happened to the men because the 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 herdsmen, the pig farmers, they run into the city, they flee the scene, um, and and tell everyone what happened. So they come out to Jesus, the people from the city, and and they say, thank you for saving these men, for protecting our community and our children. Uh, please, you know, come stay with us. We we need you around. We need you to heal people and, and protect us from other evil forces. At, at least that's what we think they would say, but they don't, right? They ask him to leave. They beg him to leave. And there are a number of, of thoughts as to why the people responded in this way. Why they begged Jesus to leave their region. And, and really none of them are, are satisfying in my opinion. Um, you know, some believe, and, and I've, I've heard this taught before, that, you know, they're, they're so mad that, that Jesus, you know, caused their pigs to drown. And, and they want, they would rather have their pigs than, than Jesus. Um, but to me, I don't think their response really seems uh, to be an angry response. They don't seem to be angered. Um, the herdsmen, they flee. Okay, it says they flee. The people come out and they beg Jesus to leave their region. They don't demand him to leave their region. Uh, they don't yell at him and curse him and, and, and scream at him to leave their region. They they beg with him to leave their region. These people are not angry. They're terrified. They're frightened by what just occurred. And, and, and the best I can make of this is that, you know, though Jesus's power over evil and destruction is a good and wonderful thing, I mean, it's the best news we could ever receive. It, it is also terrifying. And for some, it will cause them to beg Jesus to, to just leave them alone. You know, it turns out the, the, what Jesus wants to do is, is to turn the world as we know it upside down. And yes, he is coming to get rid of all the things that cause pain and devastation. But he is also coming to get rid of the things that we aren't eager to let go of. Things that are wrong and destructive to us, no doubt, and, and we know it, but nonetheless, things that we cling to, even though we shouldn't. He is coming to deal with aspects of our lives and our character that we are not willing to give up. And even though these things, they seem insignificant and harmless, we know deep down that, that, they, that they contribute to the brokenness and the pain uh, of this world. Jesus is, is coming to deal with, with all of that, not just the really bad things, but all of it. You know, some of us see Jesus's power against evil and sin, and, and though we may want to see the restoration and the healing that will result from what he is doing, the, the, the peace and the wholeness that he is bringing, we don't want him to address the things in us that need restoring. So we, like the people from the city, uh, send him away. We reject him. We beg him to leave us alone. So these two stories, um, they're so crazy, uh, so disturbing and, and confusing. I mean, what in the world are we supposed to make uh, of this? Well, I 
kind of put together three things that three takeaways um, that I think uh, realities that we need to grasp from these stories that are important. Um, some of them may seem evident, self-evident, but we, we really need to, to wrap our minds around these things uh, as best as we can. So three things. The first one, number one, is there is a presence in this world called evil or sin uh, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but there is a presence that is anti-God, that is anti-creation, that is anti-human, anti-life and, and anti-relationship. It's a presence that corrupts and destroys and divides the things and the people that God has made and, and brought together. It is a force that is greater than just the bad decisions or actions that we do to each other. It's a force that is, um, it, it influences those bad and destructive actions, no question. But uh, what is wrong with this world is it can't be solely attributed to the bad things or the bad decisions that we do to one another and, and the bad things that we do to our planet. In other words, Jesus didn't come just to deal with us and our bad behavior or selfish actions. He didn't come. It's just not for a personal restoration. The problem that he came to deal with is much greater. Um, it is on a global scale. Uh, he has come to deal with all the brokenness in creation, both in ourselves and, and beyond that. So, so number one, there's a presence in this world that uh, we, we can't fully explain, but we experience, uh, I think, every day called evil. Number two, and this is exactly what the demons said about Jesus. So, so we're learning something from demons here. Jesus is God come as a human to deal with the evil that has corrupted his creation. So there's an evil presence in this world and Jesus is God who has come to deal with that. Uh, he has come to restore his creation and his people by getting rid of this evil presence, by getting evil out of his world. So that's number two, Jesus has come to deal with this presence. And three, when Jesus shows up, there's no battle. There's no struggle. It's over before it even starts. Evil doesn't stand a chance. It self-destructs. Like uh, running the pigs into, into the sea and, and destroying the, the evil spirits destroy themselves. They self-destruct. Jesus hardly says a word. And the violent storm calms. It becomes a, the, the violent raging sea becomes a placid lake. Um, the mere presence of, of Jesus causes the, these evil powers to tremble in fear and beg for, for mercy. Evil doesn't stand a chance when Jesus shows up. We need to know this because the reality is we face evil uh, every single day. We live in a world where the presence of evil is still uh, very much apparent both in the thoughts and the decisions and the actions of people, as well as the unnatural forces of death and destruction in our world. A lot of times we call them natural uh, forces. I, I call them unnatural because it is not uh, part of what God made this world to be. Unnatural forces of death and destruction. I mean, let's just look at 2020, um, this past year that we just came out of. This virus the coronavirus has consumed 
the, the whole world, every country has been touched by this virus, not only harming and killing millions of people, but dividing and devastating families and communities. There are churches, I've talked to pastors where their churches are splitting apart over this virus and how to deal with it. People have lost their, their livelihood. Uh, generational poverty is being perpetuated. Homelessness in our city is, is increasing dramatically. Depression, addiction, and loneliness is rampant, all because of this virus. I mean, what else have we seen in the past year? Racism in our country has boiled to the surface. We have gotten to see with our eyes examples of the hate and the violence uh, that is present in this world. And this racism is, is so deeply ingrained in people and, and in communities. It is destructive, not only to the individuals who, who suffer from racist actions, but to whole communities who are touched by racism, as well as the people who, who perpetuate racism. Racism it is destructive, it is evil, it is anti-God, it is anti-life. It, it picks out uh, people who are made in the image of God and, and, and destroys them diminishes them, uh, uh, makes them um, inferior or seem inferior. It, um, and, and this is something, all these things uh, that I'm about to say, they've been present. Racism isn't new, but it's boiled to the surface in a, in a disturbing uh, and uncomfortable way in this past year. Uh, here's another uh, example of, of this evil presence in our world. Tornadoes. Let's just look at our state alone. Tornadoes have touched at least two cities in Tennessee this year, leaving people without homes, taking the lives of family members and friends. I drove to Nashville uh, just over a month ago, and um, yeah, I mean, it's the downtown area. There's still destruction. Homes have not been rebuilt. Uh, people have not been able to to go back and collect their things. And I mean, it's, it's, it's destruction, it's death, it's evil. Uh, on Christmas morning, just a week ago, a man set off a bomb in Nashville, destroying businesses and homes, harming people and, and taking his own life. The explosion um, knocked out communication all over the region for days. I don't know if you know this, but here in Knoxville, you couldn't call 911 all weekend because of the blast. Again, these I share all of this, not to say that any of this is new. Okay, this stuff, it's all existed in our world for a long time. There's been pandemics. Uh, racism is, is present everywhere uh, forever. It, it's been around. Uh, tornadoes and, and other um, unnatural disasters are happening all the time in our world. Uh, people are, are doing violent acts, um, destructive acts. Uh, all the time. But I, I say all this to reveal how brokenness and chaos, violence and corruption, uh, death and evil are so present in this world and in our lives. And I think this year in particular, for many reasons, we are able to see this reality to a much greater degree. But despite all this, okay, despite all this, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be consumed by evil and brokenness. And we don't have to lose hope. In fact, this passage gives us a tremendous amount of hope. 
hope that Jesus has come to deal with this evil presence, to deliver us and the world from the effects of evil. And his mere presence causes evil to tremble in fear, knowing that it does not stand a chance against the power of God. We have hope in the fact that Jesus has already begun to get evil out of this world by taking on the full force of death. And death, it's the ultimate goal of evil. The purpose of evil is to destroy life, to bring death. Jesus has taken on death and he has overcome it. Death could not destroy Jesus. Evil could not corrupt him. He defeated evil in the resurrection, in his resurrection, and now he is continuing to rid the world of evil, person by person, community by community. Jesus has, is, and will get evil out of his creation. So how do we move forward? Uh, from this? How do we live in light of this reality? Um, this is by no means uh, an excuse for escapism. Um, I, I hate the term, you know, let go and let God, or just, you know, God, God's going to deal with it. Uh, Jesus is going to come back. So, so we'll just sit around and wait. That is not what God wants us to do in response to this passage. That's not what Jesus wants us to do in response to this passage. Um, it's so clear by his teachings that he has invited us to join him in his mission to confront evil, both in ourselves and in the world. The whole point of this thing that we call church, okay, this, these communities all over the world that, that we call churches, the, the whole point is to continue living out Jesus' victory over evil and death. We do it with the authority and the power that belongs to Jesus. Matthew 28 says that Jesus, he says, I have all the authority and the power in the world. And now I send you out in that authority and power to, to continue my mission, to continue my ministry, impacting the lives of people and, and bringing them into my kingdom, uh, to continue restoring the world and, and getting evil out of lives and communities um, and, and just confronting these things that are anti-God and anti-life and anti-human. But, but this takes all of us. Jesus wants to work through all of us. You know, because you as an individual, let's take COVID for example, you as an individual are not going to get rid of COVID. You're just not going to do it. Uh, it's not possible, and, and I don't think that's what Jesus is asking of us. But your house church, your hope community, can come around a neighbor or a friend who has lost a family member or someone close to them. Um, you can embrace them and love them and support them in their pain. You can care for and provide for someone who has lost their job during the pandemic. You can step into the life of someone who is tortured by loneliness and depression and show them the love of Jesus. Uh, this, this COVID pandemic is, is so hard uh, for singles um, and, and many people who, who are just not able to, to engage with the communities and the people that they love and depend on. You can come around those people, show them the love of Jesus, be present with them as best as you can. A community of people can come together and address the homelessness in our city. We can provide hope and opportunity to those who are enslaved by addiction or prostitution. In a, in a time of, of so clear and, and apparent division, we can display love and unity in our communities.
We can have conversations and build relationships that confront racism, hate, and violence. We can uh, move towards um, uh, uh, social change that addresses these issues and and gets these things or or at least pushes these things further and further out of our communities. There are countless things that Jesus is doing in our city, in Knoxville alone, to deal with evil. And there are things that he wants to do through each one of you and through our communities. Ultimately, we know that even when the evil and the brokenness in our world feels suffocating. Okay, when we feel like the, the psalmist, where, where the raging waters are, are rising up, it appears as though th- this evil and brokenness will just, just overtake us and consume us. We know that we turn to Jesus, who's right there next to us in the boat, and he will deliver us through the waters. He will bring calm to the chaos. He will bring restoration to the broken. He will give new life to the dead. He will overcome the evil once and for all. And he will bring everlasting peace and wholeness. He will do that in your life. And then he will use you to do that in your community and in the lives of your neighbors and your friends and your family members and your coworkers. He wants to do that in you and through you. So let's step into that together. Let's confront the evil in our lives, in our communities, um, and, and in our relationships. And, and let's allow Jesus to, to bring calm to the chaos, to bring peace to the, the destruction and the violence that happens every single day. So let's pray and then we'll enter into a time of worship. God, I just uh, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for these amazing, miraculous, uh, uh, crazy stories about Jesus that you offer to us, God. I I thank you that we get to read them and ponder them um, and allow these stories to just enter into our lives and into our hearts and transform us. Um, I pray that that uh, what we read today and what we talked about today um, just does a work on our minds and in our hearts that we would uh, walk um, closer in step with your son, that we would see the world as Jesus sees it, that we would see the people around us as you see them, uh, as people made in your image who who are are suffering from the brokenness and evil in this world just as we are and who need the love and restoration and healing uh, word of Jesus in their lives. I pray that we can bring that um, everywhere we go, that we can be agents of restoration and healing and love and peace um, and, and, and wholeness, God. So I pray that blessing over us today. Guide us in this time of worship and through our time of discussion. Um, And may we uh, follow you more closely. In Jesus' name, amen.